Hey guys, it's Elaine, host of Raising Deaf Kids, where we get weekly encouragement, education, and feel empowered to raise our deaf kids as hearing parents together. So grab your coffee and let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to Raising Deaf Kids. And today I have such a special guest on the show. Today on the show, I have Dr. Michelle Hugh. You probably know her from Mama Who Hears. She has a website and she is very active on Instagram. And I'm sure most of you who are following this know her because just about all of you do or should. Michelle is fantastic. So Dr. Michelle is a pediatric audiologist and she is has hearing loss herself. So Michelle Hugh was diagnosed with mild hearing loss as a toddler. And then by the age of 10, she had profound sensorineural hearing loss by lottery. And at that point, she was fitted with hearing aids and really loved having access to sounds. Michelle received her first cochlear implant in 2007 and her second cochlear implant in 2010. She is now a pediatric audiologist. She is a mom of three super cute kids, a wife, and her family lives in California. And what I really love and appreciate about Michelle is that Michelle walks a really great line in being able to relate to um, specialists in her field and also being able to relate to parents really well. So a lot of professionals, you know, kind of do one, one or the other really well, at least in my experience of, you know, working with professionals in the hearing loss field and really in any medical field. Um, you know, sometimes they relate to professionals better than the parents or vice versa. But Michelle um, is able to equally talk to both sides Um like so well with so much grace and compassion. And today we have just a really great chat um, just about parenting deaf and hard of hearing kids and what you can expect it to be like from the parent side. So we don't get too clinical in this episode. We don't answer too many questions, you know, about the clinical questions. Those are things that you can connect with Michelle on Instagram and ask her. She has a lot of Q and A's on there, but today we just talked about motherhood and Michelle just, you know, was able to really talk about what's on her heart is motherhood and encouraging parents who are raising deaf and hard of hearing kids from her perspective as a person with hearing loss herself. And Michelle does such a fabulous job with supporting parents. She has a course for parents that you can take if you are newer to hearing loss with your child. It is fantastic. It has so much information. And she also has a ton of free resources on her website, which I will link in the show notes um, that are just so helpful for parents as well. Michelle has been, you know, such a positive person on my journey as I have been working and walking through hearing loss with my two children. And I was so excited that she agreed to be on the podcast and come lend her expertise and her compassionate nature to all of us parents. So welcome to the show, Michelle. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Raising Deaf Kids podcast. And I have got such a special guest on for us today. I've got Michelle Hugh from Mama Hugh, Hugh, Who Hears. 
Welcome, Michelle. I'm so excited. I've known you for a little while and I got to meet yeah. you in person at a conference, but this time we actually get to sit down and hang out, have a good conversation, one-on-one, no distractions. So I'm really excited to be here today. I know I am so excited and you're right. You and I have connected when I was like doing other stuff, trying to figure out like what I wanted to do with my life and really like where I was going to fit in, in this whole world or where I wanted to. Um, so thank you for also continuing to follow along with me, even though I had no idea what I was doing and still kind of don't. We're all evolving. That's all of us. Is that motherhood in general, just figuring out what we want to do and figuring out who we are because each day we're becoming a new person. What are our interests? Um, we have new family members, you know, in our family and what are their interests? And we want to go this way and we want to go that way. And in the grand scheme of things, we're discovering who are we? What are our strengths? What are our interests? Ooh, some of my strengths from the past, maybe I'm not interested in that anymore, but my strength is going to help me in this project or in that dream or that mission. So, yeah, no, I love that. And you have built I mean, you've done two things, which I think are incredible. You built built a fantastic like online brand, you know, that helps parents, that also helps other audiologists, if I'm correct, like other audiology students, especially. And you like also are a practicing audiologist. So you have like two, which I think are incredible, two like basically jobs, you know, and you've been successful in both, which I would love to just talk a little bit about like how did you get into in case people haven't found you yet, which I find that hard to believe at this point, someone hasn't found you yet. How did you get into this hearing loss world? So I think that I was born with hearing loss myself back in the night. I was born in 1983 and they did not yet do hearing screenings in the hospital. So I wasn't identified with mild to moderate hearing levels until I was about three. My preschool teacher, she told my mom, Michelle's sneaking off on her own. Um, She's not disrupting class or anything, but during story time, she's sneaking off on her own. She's either singing songs to herself or she picks up a book and reads it by herself. So you might want to get her hearing evaluated. I got my hearing evaluated. I was found with mild to moderate hearing levels and then fit with hearing aids pretty soon after that. My mom thought, okay, we need, we all need to learn sign language. But at that time, since it was just mild, I did benefit really uh, significantly from amplification in the form of hearing aids. Do I wish that we learned sign language back then? I do, but I'm not going to hold, you know, my mom at any fault at all. She didn't have Google. She didn't have any online social media resources or anything at all. And for them, you know, it was, hey, she's already got lots of spoken language in English and Chinese. She did listen to the doctor. The doctor said not to speak to me in Chinese, that I might not go beyond a third grade reading level if you did two languages. We know that is not the case anymore. Submerse your children in language, auditorily, visual, anything written, submerse your kids in language so that they can gain access to language, communication skills, just cultures of all kind. Submerse your kids. The world is their oyster. You know, why not have so many things coming in all at once? And they can pick and choose and decide what they like, are interested in, and want to go after. So I was identified when I was three years old. And 
I had a progressive hearing loss. So my hearing loss is as of a result of something called enlarged vestibular aqueduct syndrome or EVAS and Pendred syndrome. And these are both recessive gene syndrome. So both my parents carried the gene and one in four chance their children would have it. And I was one of, I was in that 25% chance. So every probably like two years, I would bump my head and my hearing levels would get worse. My hearing aids would get bigger. My parents were like, what is going on? We don't, we didn't know the cause until I was about 10, maybe 12 years old. I got a cochlear implant when I was in grad school to become an audiologist. And I got a second cochlear implant when I moved, when I finished audiology school back in 20, 2008 or 2009. I've been practicing for 13, 14 years now. And it wasn't until COVID that I was like, I, I had been on maternity leave before COVID and I was about to go back to work in March of 2020 when the world shut down. But I was just thinking, man, I miss my patients. I miss the parents. I miss the relationship that I had with them. And I miss being in partnership with them, helping them, being a resource to them and learning about my own identity and learning about my own culture through them. What can I do to connect with them somehow? And my, I have a couple of friends who have businesses on Instagram. They're like, Michelle, you need to start this. We were just taking a long walk together. And I said, are you sure? Like, I don't have much to talk about. There's, I'm going to give, you know, a few life hacks and boom, I'm going to, I'm going to be done. Like, I won't have anything else to talk about. And they were like, no, 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 Michelle, you're going to have tons to talk about. I simmered on it for a little bit. I said, okay. I'm really nervous about the name. I don't know what to call it. Like it's going to sound dorky or it's not going to give a good message. We sat on the couch within an hour. We came up with a name and they said, well, now you have a name. You, we know you're not going to run out of topics. Go start. Like, oh, okay. Well, I just start writing and writing from my heart and just sharing my experience opened up so many doors I thought I'm going to do this for a year. If I still like it, great. I'll go on with it. But if anybody benefits from something that I share, maybe a feeling, an idea, an experience that I share, great. Like then my job is done. And it took me back to clinic during that, during COVID, you know, um, I was able to connect with people, even if it's virtually. I was able to see how my vulnerability or my sharing could help so much. Like just one little story. And it's because I didn't, I don't know what it's like to be a hearing mom raising deaf children. I have an idea, but I will never truly know what it's like to be in your shoes. And I knew that what I didn't know at that time was you guys will never truly know what it's like to be in our shoes, me being the kid. I was like, huh, if I can be some kind of liaison, a segue, be able to put things into layman terms or, you know, parent ease for you guys to understand, then that would just blow out of the water the partnership that you have with your children or that bond that you have with your children. And that's what excites me. 
I love being able to empower parents. I love being able to empower the children because I'm still that kid. I'm still my mom, my hearing mom's deaf kid. You know, I'm still fighting battles. I'm still, you know, approaching challenges. You bet that, you know, we've, we've come up with lots of different systems or techniques or understandings by now. And, but let me tell you, it's, it's ongoing. It's a journey. What's the end? Well, I don't want to get to the end because this is where life is. This is where I'm going to learn or she's going to learn. Oh, she didn't hear me because I was washing dishes at the, at the time I'm trying to communicate with her and I'm talking into the water. I'm talking into that sound. There's also an exhaust fan going on or a dishwasher or, you know, whatever music, kids screaming in the background. Of course she didn't hear me. And so instead of getting frustrated, oh, I, ha I now have a tool. Let me either hold on to my thought or flash a light, you know, shout around or ask her, hey, can you come here or sign? Let me, is my message that important? If my message is that important or I just want to be with her, I can stop. Hey, get her attention. I really want to chat with you. Would you stand next to me while, you know, I'm washing dishes? Or hey, in a few moments when I'm done washing dishes, dishes, can we take a walk outside by ourselves? And it brings you back to being more present, more intentional, and being with. And for me, it's family. One of my core values is family. No matter what it is that we do. This morning, I was, you know, sewing Halloween costumes, and it could have been like a job that I was doing but my kids started like can we play some Halloween music can we do this can we do that Ooh, I'm gonna make some Halloween decorations with you I'm gonna be doing the same thing with you and we're all just being together as a family it doesn't mean family time doesn't mean we have to be going to SeaWorld you know seeing the sights doing all of the things it's how you're being with each other and it's intentional it's, it's experiences are see if you can wrap your head around this. Experiences to me are in communication. In me saying, hey, I really like hanging out with you. And it doesn't have to be verbal communication. It can be a hand on the shoulder. It can be a hug. I really enjoy who you are, who are you becoming? And I love learning about who, who what you're all about. But that's what I somehow made created in this Instagram community that I started three years ago, more than about three and a half years ago. And the core of it was for every child to be seen and heard. And when you think about it, each mother is a child too. Each parent is a child too. He or she is still learning about the world. It might not be the big wide world. It might be I'm learning about the world that my children are growing up in. I'm learning about their brains, their personalities. That's a whole nother world that, man, they're my favorite worlds. You know, I love the difference in personalities. You have three kids as well. The second kid was born. I was like, oh my gosh, wait, it's completely different. What do you mean? She's not going to go to sleep at the same time or how they were, or like, you know, this one's spitting up so much. This one never had any food allergies. This one has this difficulty. <laughs> and 
the when you approach each situation as a whole new world, you can approach it with wonder. And that's just one of my favorite parts is I will always be a child or a kid. I will always be a learner, a student. And that's what kind of gives me life. But that's why I created my Instagram community and my website, all of that, because I want each and every soul, each and every person in the world, disability or not disability, to see and learn and most importantly, feel seen and heard. That was a really long answer to your question, but that's where I kind of came from. That's just kind of where it came from. So just figuring it out, like you said, figuring out my life along the way, figuring out what skills, talents that I have and how can I apply it to my new interests. And yeah, Mama Who Hears, it's taking off. We've got merchandise. We've got this online program. I'm in the process of editing a second edition, releasing it out there. Well, we've got a teen journal coming out and you're inspiring me to start a podcast. I don't know what I'll say, but I'll figure something out, right? Well, you, okay, when you say, I don't know what to say, which is fantastic. You said so many fantastic things. That is what you said originally when you didn't want to start your Instagram. Mm -hmm. That was what you told your friends originally. It's like, I don't have anything to say. And then like, you've built this whole incredible brand, which I love and is so fun and is so helpful to parents and is so welcoming to everyone so I mean I think I'm gonna yeah say the same thing that your friends told you when you're like I don't have anything to say on Instagram I think you do have a lot to say and a lot of like fantastic things to say and I think if you start that podcast which you should like you're gonna find that you have so much to say and it's just like a different way to connect with people you know so yeah so that is not something that I've would worry about for you at all and it is fantastic and I love talking to you because we are on the same team and we fill in like both sides of it which I love we both are really into supporting parents of kids with hearing loss and yeah I I understand the side of like being a hearing parent and having a completely different experience from that two of my kids are gonna have and you understand the hearing loss side because that was your journey. And so we like fill in both sides for parents really well, which is why I love connecting. One of the reasons I love connecting and talking with you about parents. And we are just, you know, both so into, you know, if you can educate the parents and help them understand, then the kids just thrive so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they grow up so much better in school. They, you know, have so much more access to language or, you know, just whatever they need in the home, just the more that you educate parents. And, you know, I just find from a parent who has no hearing loss in my family. So it was pretty shocking to have two kids with hearing loss. And then my little girl is regular hearing. So that's like a whole different dynamic is, is, you know, having one child who can hear without cochlear implants. And then I have um, my middle one, he has a small cochlear nerve, so he doesn't have full access to sound, even with his cochlear implant. So he actually like doesn't talk and he signs. And my oldest one has like full access to language via his cochlear implants and he speaks. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't sign, but now we're, we're working on sign to be able to like incorporate his 
brother into stuff. So we have Love like dynamic. You've got hearing. You've three got, different dynamics. You've got deaf oral. You've got it mm-hmm. all. And you're it could be they're deaf and then your daughter's hearing. So she's stuck at like, hold on, I'm the only one. You know, yes, you and your husband are hearing, but she could also you don't know what she's going to feel. Yeah, our job too. as parents is so to we're not sure yet. This environment. Yeah, our job to, is to create the environment that they get to grow up in. Our job, we can't control what they think or feel or act. Sometimes we can control mm-hmm. how they act, but it it's, I feel like the biggest lesson in parenting and it starts with pregnancy and or figuring out, you know, when their delivery date is going to be, what the biggest lesson in parenting is you don't know. <laughs> you yes. don't know what's going to happen. Because I have like five different personalities in my household. And mm-hmm. who knows? It's studying that dynamic, finding out how to work in partnership, honoring who they are, allowing them to fully express themselves and that's where the magic is when you can say I am who I am I accept the way that I am and the way that I'm not to yourself and also to them one of my main mantras in life is meet them where they're at I tell audiology students this I tell parents this I tell my patients this meet yourself where you're at or meet them where you're at that'll help you relate to them kids on the spectrum I learned so much from them because I am trying to put myself into their shoes yeah this room is scary yeah the hospital's scary maybe you had a bad past experience in a hospital like a painful like experience you had shot or something and I put myself in their shoes and I I dropped them like hi I'm Dr. Michelle and I'm here to help you I want to be your friend today and we're going to play some games would it help if I told you I don't do anything that hurts? I don't even have band-aids in my office. We're not going to do shots. We're not going to do anything, are we? And I'm going to show you everything that I'm going to do. Maybe we'll do it on a mommy or daddy or on your stuffy if you have one. How about, how does that sound? And when they feel seen, they feel heard. They're like, she respects me. And I absolutely respect them. That's the most important thing but also turn it on yourself. Where are you? Are you frustrated because you're hearing and your child is not hearing? Are you making it mean that you're not a good parent because you can't relate to them? Maybe you are and honor that for yourself and then put it aside. Okay, that's that, I can't change it. What I can change or what I can do is love my child so much. I can accept my child for who they are. I can accept my child and myself for who I'm not. And that kind of levels the playing field or it clears the slate. What can we do? What can we both do? We can play signing games. We can play visual games. We can play listening games and make it fun. But we can meet somewhere in the middle. We can meet each other. And that's when you can start to really work together and both of you will feel, feel seen and heard. Both of you can win. So a lot of times I see parents struggling with why did this have to happen? He or she might not have the childhood that I'm dreaming of. So a lot of times I'm talking to parents 
allow yourself to the space and time to grieve the idea of what you wanted your child's childhood to look like, the idea of what you wanted their life to look like. And it's all these little teeny tiny things that we learn to let go. My when my my when my kids started dressing themselves, let go of them looking prim and proper and perfect. My first child loves bows. My second daughter does not love bows. Okay. What does she like? She's got her own style. Cool. Too bad. I can't do that many hand-me-downs from one to the other. But yeah. It's okay. You know, it's okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. Thank you for that. I love that. And it's interesting because like organically the, um, the like grief and acceptance of like your child having hearing loss has come up in like every single interview I've done so far. (laughs) And I haven't not like prompted. I don't think any of it is all just like come up organically. So that is obviously and I would say that's true for me too, at least with my first child, by the time, like my second child, we had already like moved through that process. And it was a lot for me, a lot easier the second time around, because I knew exactly what to do. Like I knew exactly the process. We were already plugged in with, you know, all the right people. And I would say mm-hmm. for my second child, the process with cochlear implants went a lot faster and just like gave him a speech therapist and everything, because we were already there with our first one. So I just went into the speech therapist and I was like, okay, we've got another one. Like, (laughs) this is what we need to do. Let's set him up with an appointment. So everything happened like a little bit faster with him and a little bit more confidently with him than with my first one. But there, you know, yeah, there was because, you know, when you're a hearing parent, you probably don't have other hearing loss in your family. And so, you know, especially when like your new baby, like you have a new baby. For me, it was my first child. So, you know, it's my first time like ever being a mom. And then also my baby was like in the NICU. He was small because they both ended up having, both of my boys have a genetic syndrome, a rare genetic syndrome, which has never been in our family before that caused like them to be like smaller at birth and, you know, has caused some other, like they need physical therapy, occupational therapy, and a little bit behind in like milestones. So hearing loss, was like is a big part of it but it's like just a part of their diagnosis but yeah I mean we were shocked when our first child you know had hearing loss because that was not what we were expecting I think a lot of parents you know feel that way and you know this is obviously part of the process when it's come up in every single interview that there is like a grief and acceptance process (laughs) at the beginning and every single person that has come in here has told parents that that is okay And that's a normal part of the process because I think a lot of parents, yeah, are afraid to go through that because they think. And don't discount, there are some parents that feel happiness. Some people feel relieved. A lot of times I have parents like, thank you for giving me a diagnosis or an identification because I knew something was going on with my child. All of my pediatricians just said, no, just wait. You know, they'll start talking later or, you know, it's fine. It's just fluid, you know? So yes. when we go to an audiological evaluation or a couple of them, a few of them, and you finally get an answer, they're like, oh, okay, got it. Now I have something solid to work with. Or they, yes, they grieve, but then sometimes they're just like, okay, let's move on. What do we need to do? That's where I created my program. It's like, I'm like, hey, 
what do you guys want to do? Because a lot of times you're at that appointment, you don't process any of it. You go home, you're like, wait, what did they say? What do I do? You go to Google. Sure, Google's yeah. going to help you out. There's information out there, all kinds of information. But how do you narrow it, narrow it down? When my that first year I was doing my Instagram, I was getting all of the same questions from parents that I used to get in clinic or that I still get in clinic. All right, what, what can I do? I put it into a series of eight video modules going over anything from grieving or processing the emotions to understanding what we do at audiological evaluations, understanding what kind of amplification is out there that's available. I don't get super into the nitty gritty specific, but I want a parent to know, huh, okay, there are these kinds of hearing aids there. This is the cochlear implant. This is the Baja. What do I do with it? I want the parents to be armed with information and some general questions so that they can go to their appointments and say, is my son or daughter a candidate for this? Why or why not? You know, you might be asking that question because that's what you really want. You want like a cure or some, some kind of answer, or you might just be under, wanting um, to understand why they aren't something to better understand what your child is, you know, would be able to benefit from if not, or if you don't, or to help you decide, no, I don't want any kind of amplification for my child. I also go through all different types of advocacy, what to do when you get to the school, what, how to create advocacy and confidence within your deaf or hard of hearing child. I also have a module that talks about how to take care of you, how to take care of you because you're a caretaker. Moms do not have to wear this badge of honor, like being tired all the time or being worn out. So thin. it's not a badge of honor, no. To be the best mother for your children, you also need to fill your own tank. You need to put the oxygen mask on yourself first too. But when I was creating this program, I was pregnant by the way. So I was like, all of this stuff was just coming out of me. I was like, I need to get this down. I need to record these videos. I need, you know, I want to make this handout and that handout. I started creating handouts to go with the video module. And it ended up being a 125 page book. It's right here behind me, but I worked with a marriage family therapist for, and created questions that parents, uh, like questions to be conversation starters between parents. I want a lot of the time one parent comes to the appointment with a kid because the other one's at work. Not all of that information gets home. Like it's like playing the telephone game. They hear it from the professional. One parent hears it there. Then they sum it up and, you know, get, give the next parent at home what they heard. But these conversation starters help create family core values, help create goals. What kind of communication, what do we want communication to look like in our family in five years? We want to use ASL. We want to use a visual language. Okay, so how can we do that? Should we take in-person classes? Should we take virtual classes? Are we the type to learn from a book? Are we the type to learn from YouTube? Who should take the lead on this? Who should take the lead on something else? When you can organize and make it as a team where everyone's doing their own part and then coming together versus each person trying to do their own thing and they're going their own way, it, you know, it clashes. Everything just a mess. 
But I love, love, love my handbook to be because I can hand it over to a parent. They, there's a lot of information in here. Take what works for you. Don't leave what doesn't work for you. Maybe you'll need it later. The process is not linear in life at all. And that's the same thing for a deaf and hard of hearing journey. Same thing for going through my program. Pick and choose the modules that are um, pertaining to you right now. In my book, um, pick, pick and choose what areas, what forms, what questions, what chapters that you where are you? You could you could be, you know, one month post-diagnosis. You could be 17 years post-diagnosis. And there's just so much information in there, but it's all in one spot for you to take a look at. It's there for you when you need it. And it's there for you, you know, just as a reminder for later. But I I created it because my mom didn't have social media. She didn't know exactly where to go. And she had to piece together her village. She went to church. She spoke to our priest. He was like, he had knew nothing about hearing loss at all or deaf children at all. And he just said, you have all, you have all of the tools within you. You'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you're healthy. You have your family. You have a roof over your head and you have a stable family foundation. So just take a breath and then figure out, okay, what is it that I want to focus on right now? I want to focus on Michelle's school. Okay. Let's take a look at this, you know, one step at a time. And I think that I've created this program for my, all the moms out there, or actually, no, I know I created the program for all of the young deaf and hard of hearing children out there, because I want them to feel, feel seen, heard and empowered to know that they can do anything that they set their mind to. And it starts with the parents. If I can educate the parents, I also offer my course to audiology students and professionals, they can get continuing education credits for it. But it starts with the village. And when the village is strong, then we can really empower those children. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I agree because we are like the ones teaching them until they're at least 18, but probably longer. <laughs> According to my mom, it never stops. So mm-hmm. never. I'm still my parents' um, little girl. I know. I am too, I guess. Yeah, I am. No. Well, now she helps me with me with my kids. So she's like round two. Same. Parenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. we love that. And I love that your program organizes this information for parents in like an easy way to make decisions because it is true that when you go to the audiologist for the first time and you go through the speech therapist it's like drinking from a fire hose at the beginning like you just found out your kid has hearing loss you don't really know what that means if you don't have hearing loss in your family then they're like okay, do you want, and they want you to kind of make decisions quickly because they want like kids to get aided. Like if you're going to do it, or if you're going to start sign language, which makes sense, they want to do it as early as possible to get language and communication in there as early as possible for kids, which is true. And I agree with, but it's like, sometimes I think you feel a little bit rushed as a parent because they want you to make a decision. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, so it's like cochlear implants, hearing aids, like you said, Bajas, what in the heck is all of that? You know, does my kid need that? What does that mean for my kid? And then they're like, okay, then you talk to the speech therapist and they're like, okay, 
is your child going to talk? Is your, you know, are you going to use sign language? And you're like, I have a two month old baby mm-hmm. you're, you're, who's not talking anyway, no matter what, because like they're two months old, no matter if they're hearing or not, it, you know, and you're making decisions without knowing the future. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is why it's so helpful to talk to someone like you, you know, and other people who like adults who have hearing loss, because when you're making these decisions for your babies, like, you know, when they're two months old, three months old, you're making like a big decision for their future without knowing the future with just having the information that you have right then, which is the best that you can do. But, you know, I know a lot of parents worry, you know, cochlear implants, especially because it is a big surgery and it it is something to take seriously, you know, and to really think about, but you know, there's so much, it's like, they want the cochlear implants, but then, you know, they're afraid of putting their kids through surgery, which is really hard to do. And we had to, we, you know, did that twice with our kids. It is a big surgery. It is scary putting your like 11 month old baby, you know, under surgery. And then I hear a lot of parents, especially lately, because I think social media adds like another confusing aspect to it because there's so many opinions on social media. And there's, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's so many accounts, you know, I mean, most people are pretty supportive of like parents, you know, whatever they choose. I know I've seen a few accounts that are less supportive of like cochlear implants or like hearing aids and are more supportive of, you know, using ASL and like not being aided. And I have heard a a lot of parents or several parents when I've just like been in the Facebook groups and stuff, worry about getting their kids cochlear implants and that they aren't going to be accepted by the deaf community if they give them cochlear implants. So it's it's almost like they're not as concerned about the surgery stuff, but they're concerned about their child's like future for a community mm-hmm. as they get older. Yeah. And I'm just curious <laughs> what you think point. because you have cochlear implants, mm-hmm. you know, you are an adult with hearing loss, you know, what you think about that, you know, what your experience has been. Cause I, you know, yeah, I mean, I think parents are like, I want my kids to have friends. I want them to have a community when they're older Mm -hmm. and I don't want to do this to them if their community is not going to accept Mm -hmm. them. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. want them to be like an outcast too, which is a big thing. These are all valid points and significant fears that many times we as parents can have. And what I talk a lot about is mindset in my program too like what is how can we shift that mindset you will never make everybody happy what is it that you want for you your child and your family dynamic because it's your family not everybody else's other people's opinions of you is none of your business as hard as it is to um get over right But you can't control the future. What you can control and focus on is this is my family. We love each other. I'm providing the best to my knowledge with my tools that I have for my children. And we'll take it a day at a time. Okay, if you don't, if the cochlear implant is not an option for you right now or not a consideration, great, no problem. What I do want to push is communication. Can you give them access to language? Can you give them access to language so that they can fully express themselves, so that their personalities can come out? 
And that might be a visual language. So it's, those are absolutely valid fears, but, but how can we shift the mindset around it? Because I can't control five, 10 years down the line if the hearing or the deaf community is not going to accept my child. What I can do is give him tools to know himself, herself, whichever, whatever child you have, and be able to stand tall and confidently because they know who they are. Yeah, I love that. So what can we do? Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. And, you know, I think that's another thing that parents, you know, think about and aren't sure about is, you know, this term like, you know, help your child be an advocate, be an advocate for your child. I think a lot of people don't know what advocacy like actually means or like what we're supposed to be teaching our kids because we don't have the same experience as our kids. You know what I mean? Um, so like, what are some things that we can start teaching our kids to help them eventually like advocate for themselves? Cause that's the goal is to be adults that can advocate for themselves. But, you know, I guess like the approach that we're taking with our kids is that you have to teach them. It's like anything else you have to like model and show them like what that looks like. So what does that look like? It's as simple as teaching your kids to notice. Notice what? Notice that paper on the floor. Notice I feel frustrated giving them the language to um, label that uh, feeling. Notice, huh, I heard a beep. Where is it coming from? Hmm, I noticed that that person looks mad or looks sad. When they have the skills to notice their surroundings and themselves and also separate, that's the environment, this is me, it gives them access to be able to define, label, and then give them language to communicate that, you'll only, you'll grow, you'll boost their confidence. You'll boost their knowledge and know-how of this is who I am, this is what's going on around me, Let's put the puzzle together. I either don't want to be in this environment. Like my ch- my children now, they, they all go to a birthday party. And every now and then it's like, mom, can I have some quiet time with you for a minute? Outside, no problem. We're going to Chuck E. Cheese this afternoon. I'm like, well, they'll probably say that. But I made sure this morning, let's have some easygoing quiet time so that they can go into that environment a little bit more comfortably and not as tired. But noticing, noticing, noticing and language to be able to communicate gives them confidence, gives them skills and advocacy so they can say, I know something happened. I didn't hear it. What could you repeat it? Or to say, what you have to say is important to me. Could you get my name or say my name or wave at me before starting your message? Because I really want to hear your message. When we can give each other messages, then we can communicate and we can be a team. We can clean up faster so that we can go to the whatever fun thing that we want to do next so that we can go to the park. How to notice, oh, they look sad. I wonder what happened. Maybe they're hungry. Maybe they're, you know, whatever. My, I have a five, four and a three, a two-year-old. Oh, he looks sad. I think he's hungry. I'm going to put some food in front of his face and see if he wants it. That's all communication. That's teamwork. 
And your child needs to be able to become a team with you, with, with their teachers, with their school administration. I tell parents and schools, have a high intensity training at the beginning of the school year, include the janitor. Because what if the janitor sees a hearing aid on the floor, thinks it's a toy, throws it out. But if he's had training of like, oh, that looks like a hearing amplification device, or huh, that looks like something important, you know, or that looks like, I don't know, whatever it is. And he'll be like, I'm not going to throw that out because I know what that is so that I can bring that to lost and found. I know exactly which family that belongs to. I'm going to bring it right to them. So noticing yeah. and giving communication in, in, in like giving vocabulary in whatever way, shape or form that looks like. Yeah, no, that is really helpful to, you know, help us know how to start teaching our kids and how to start modeling for them, maybe like what they should be saying so that, you know, they, cause I know that my kids catch on the most from modeling what they like hear me say all the time they start saying you know so that is what we do you know I you know ask them do you need me to repeat this do you you know need me do you need to look at me like I ask them the questions so that they have a chance to like answer yes or no and then they see me like responding to them appropriately and I think that just starts like kind of like you said, the connection and them understanding that they like have choices because maybe a lot of kids and a lot of parents, like they don't know that they can tell you, hey, can you like repeat that? Or, hey, can you look at me? And it's almost like they need to be told like, hey, yeah, you can like ask that. And that, you know, they're learning the okay. way of the world. Mm-hmm. They're learning. And the best and safest environment is at home. So I especially tell parents of young kids, role model it at home. You mentioned role modeling. If you're hearing and you're wondering like, how do I role model asking um, for repetition or something to my kid? Instead of just telling them to do it, it, you do it yourself too. Advocate for yourself. Hey, to your husband, I didn't hear you. What did you say? Or could you, you know, let me know your message when you're done with the dishes or let's talk later. It's okay to wait. Things don't happen to have have to happen now, now, now. The role model for yourself whenever you need something. And that might be the hardest thing for us because we're like independent adults who can do everything on our own. But it's okay to ask for help. I say all the time, hey, would you help me wash the dishes? And they're like, you will let me wash the dishes. It might get messy, you know? Or could you you start it as soon as, you know, you have your second baby? Could you help me by getting a diaper for me? You are so helpful. What a team player. I really appreciate you. And then they start to do it on their own. It's magical. <laughs> yeah. No, we, yeah, absolutely. My five-year-old loves to help do the dishes, by the way. <laughs> Actually, he loves to help vacuum, <laughs> mop, do the dishes, anything that is like activity. <laughs> Joy, like, oh, well, right? Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. That's what that's what my mom said. She was like, "Well, by the time that he's mm-hmm. old enough to like do it on his own, he's not going to want to." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, we'll see." But yeah, no, I mean that's so true to just create, you know, like a family system of like everyone is kind of like in this team together, you know, and everyone is part of the family team. Everyone helps out in the house, and everyone does their 
part to make sure everyone has access to the language in the house too, you know, and maybe that's something we can also talk about that we haven't talked about yet, because I believe that the home is, is so important, you know, because when you get outside the home, you know, like you said, you can't control the environment. You can't control what other people say. You can only control like your response to them. You know, you can't control, you know, the kids that like, you know, your kids are going to encounter at school and what they're going to say. And yes, like you can absolutely give them tools, do education, blah, blah, blah. But like, I feel like the home is like the safe place or it should be. Right. And so, you know, when all this other stuff is going out, this is the place that our kids can come and be who they are. This is where they can come and relax. They can feel comfortable asking us things or even there are, I'm sure, things that we can do as regular hearing people in the home to just go ahead and preemptively do that helps out our kids with hearing loss. So they maybe don't even have to ask us all the time because I imagine it's like you're always having to like remind the world. At least that's what I've heard from a lot of other deaf adults is like, you're always having to advocate for yourself a lot. You're always having to like remind the world, like I can't hear or can you repeat this or can you look at me and so I feel like when you're when we're creating the home environment for our kids what can we do to make sure everyone like has language access that our homes are more friendly to hearing loss so maybe even our kids don't have to ask so much like maybe there are things that we can preemptively do to help them and just make that part of our natural like home community, you know, for example, like I, you know, try, I like try to tap my kids on the shoulder and I like model that for my little girl, or I like wave, you know, my hand in front of them, especially my one that can't hear as well to get his attention. You as a hearing person have had as much to learn about the deaf community as I have to learn about the hearing community. The only difference is I've been living in your world my whole life, right? You might've heard this at my TED talk um, <laughs> or TED like talk, uh, but step into my shoes a little bit. If you want to wear earplugs for a day, three days, have your husband set the time limit. So you don't know how long you have left to do it. That's a good idea. You have that exit window. You know that there's going to be end to it versus living with it. I love circular tables to be and you can see all the faces. I love using remote microphones, but I also love learning ASL as a family. All of my family is hearing, but if they're learning ASL for me, I can communicate with them across the ta- uh, across the living room, whatever, like upstairs, um, from across the playground. Think about communication, brightly lit rooms, open like floor designs or whatever. I love having the kitchen and the living room and dining room kind of like all one space so that I can, while I'm cooking, I can see my kid playing in the living room. I used to be the worst at turning off lights because I would leave them on all the time. Having closed captions on your television, having visual alerts for doorbell, for you know my alarm clocks, for smoke alarm systems all of those and being mindful of noisy appliances 
my friend Jana, they got rid of a noisy dishwasher, totally fine, but they got rid of it because it was hindering their communication. It was such a loud dishwasher and it wasn't helping their family dynamic. My friend Jana is hard of hearing. She has two daughters who are hard of hearing and her husband is hearing. So it was just a noisy piece of, a, of, a, of appliance and they decided there's no problem with it, but we want a quiet one. Turning the water off when you're talking or laying out for your kids, this is helpful in most classrooms, the agenda of the day so that they know what's gonna happen. Kids thrive on routines. Or if you're not a routine person, just teaching them, like I call it thinking out loud. I do it with my audiology students. I'm gonna think out loud for you so that you can see what I'm noticing and what I'm going to do. It'll help you understand why I'm doing it in this order, why I'm doing it now, why I'm doing it this way. They're like, huh, okay. My parents would do that when we when they were driving. I noticed that that car is kind of veering towards the line. I wonder if they're going to cross over, but they don't have their light on. But I'm going to slow down or I'm just going to be aware because what if they're going to cross over? Then they cross over and they didn't turn their light on. It's kind of like being on the defense or just observing. And I think that being hard of hearing, I was very observant with my environment. My other sentences are heightened. I can read body language. So in your house, open spaces, well, good lighting, visual access. Putting things on a calendar, that's one way of communicating. That's how my husband and I communicate our social life. <laughs> What's happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. visual, giving them independence with visual or vibrotactile alarm clocks. My mom was my alarm clock for several years and she would shake me and I was like, I can snooze her until like the very last minute. She's like, get out of bed, you know? Yes. <laughs> but if you give them alarm, an alarm clock gives them responsibility and gives them independence just visual yeah, I love that yeah yeah no that is great and I mean that's you gave me ideas of things that we need to implement in our house with the doorbell was a really great one I didn't think about the visual the visual doorbell I definitely need to still get some stuff in place for fire like fire and I should probably get my seven-year-old the bed waker because he's old he's in second grade now I mean you know up until this point I have had like little kids so I'm just kind of reaching now. My oldest is turning eight in January. So I'm just now reaching, you know, kind of like slight older kid stage. Cause you know, like my youngest is two, my middle one is five. And you're still just as a parent at those ages doing a lot for them because they're little. I mean, you are teaching them, but you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, you still need to support and help them with too. Yeah. And that, that definitely gives me also things to think about as we're moving forward as my oldest is like getting older and able to take on like more responsibility. Is, are they about the same, like similar audiograms? I don't know. No, no. Well, I mean, my first one can hear more. Like he okay. can hear, I think like almost all the speech levels. I haven't, we haven't done his in like a few months. They're up they're down to like, either once a year or twice a year I can't remember but like they don't you that just goes to say like every single person in your family has a different dynamic has a different personality yes 
So that is what true. I do then my husband has a different personality too. Uh, of course, <laughs> yes, of course. there are five. But it's just five the, like, different. And actually, my husband has like tinnitus. Tinnitus. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you say it in the professional world, but and he so he has some like hearing loss from I believe some medication that he was taking a few years ago and it caused a little bit of hearing loss with him. So some, so he does things also like I'm talking and he's like, what? I didn't hear. And the, he does. then I have to repeat it. Yeah. And then like, I get frustrated at him, which is like so hypocritical because I'm a but lot that- more like, no, I'm like, because he just like, didn't hear me. And I'm like having to talk louder and he's like, you're mumbling. I'm like, no, I'm not. So he, he like has a little bit of like, you know, I don't, I don't know. He's never had like an audiogram, I don't believe, but you know, a little bit of hearing loss, like because of some medication, you know, so sometimes, and he, and he actually has to remind me that he can't always hear hear. everything too. And that wasn't like when we were married almost 12 years ago, like that was not the case. So that has happened like since we've been married. So yeah, so I, I have him, I have my, you know, almost eight year old who wears his cochlear implants and, you know, I don't know, he like has full speech sounds with his cochlear mm-hmm. implants. I have my five-year-old who does not hear every speech sound. I don't remember his exact audiogram at the moment, but we know that he has holes in his hearing and, and he, and he does not talk either so my oldest one does talk and communicate my middle one that like he really does just use asl signs he he is like his speech is coming he is trying to say some words which is great but we don't at this point we're focusing more on the asl communication because he loves it and he's really into it and that's what we're doing in school with him because he you know is probably not hearing everything and so the speech is you know more difficult for him and I have a little girl who we are also teaching ASL science. And so she does both. That's <laughs> she speaks, awesome. She's full hearing. And she, I always like remind her, I've been lately re- reminding myself because someone told me, I think it was someone at the hands and voices conference that we were just at told me, cause I, cause I mean, that that's another thing is just learning sign language and like everything else that I'm doing in life with these kids. And someone was like, you should try to remember to just sign like as much as you know, just every time you're talking, like also sign. And so your kids will also pick it up through like incidental signing, like even if you're not talking to them, but they're watching you like sign and talk to, you know, someone else in your family, they're picking it up. And so I've tried to be more intentional about, you know, if there's anything that I know the ASL signed for to do the sign while I'm doing the action, like, you know, they're into apple juice right now. So I'm always like apple juice or orange juice, like, that's, you know, no, and so I'm perfect. always like signing it, which is actually how I learned Spanish. Okay. So as a high school Spanish teacher, Spanish is my second language and not my native language. And that's how I learned it originally was by using it like I you know, started learning in high school, but using it in my home. So whenever I knew that I knew the Spanish word for something, I would say the Spanish word and send the English word. And that's like how mm-hmm. I learned vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what we're trying to do. But yeah, we have like five different hearing styles, five different oh, communication so styles. In our home. All of that to say though, you need to have the highest standard of accessibility and inclusivity as you can. Mm-hmm. So your husband is technically hearing. 
you've got some difficulty understanding or receiving some of the messages. Your second son is nonverbal. Okay, then we all need to be able to, we all need to look at each other while we're communicating with them because that's not fair. Like, what is he, he can communicate through other ways, but you know what? We need to be intentional with giving him that space and his own voice, not answering for him, not speaking for him. Same with children, with um, a lot of kids who aren't talking yet, uh, half the time the speech therapist says, give them the space to talk. Don't say the words for them. Allow them to feel safe to come out of there. So you're doing all of that, you know, and you're figuring it out with each member of your family. That's why it's so important to me for families to know I'm just an audiologist. I provide information and resources so that you can make the best decisions for you and your family. Because I don't understand or know your family dynamic as well as you do. You are the mother or the parent of your child. You know the dynamic. You're with them 24-7. Yeah, and that's so true. And, you know, like you're saying, every person's family dynamic family home is different because I also I mean you know I know a lot of families who has a child with cochlear implants and they only do spoken communication and that's what works for them their child can hear the cochlear implants they you know figured out you know I think a few signs are way to communicate if they're not wearing them you know that's like working for them I know a lot of other people I think more recently a lot of people with like younger kids that I have known are trying to like incorporate sign language or like ASL at least some ASL signs in there yeah so I've just met lots of different people who choose lots of different communication styles for their family and it's all correct mm-hmm. there's not you know it is just you know can your child can effectively communicate with you and the family and effectively communicate with others in the community and at school. And if they can, then great. Yep. Then you've done your job. And then, you know, change and in this change for us too, which I think is important for families to know is that is what you start with is not necessarily what you end up with. <laughs> Cause we tried like queuing with our son for a while. So I learned that and he didn't really catch on to it. He didn't love it. So after, you know, about six months to a year of that, we switched to ASL signs, which he picked up right away and loved it. And so that's like what we went with, with him, you know, and with my oldest, I did some ASL signs that I learned from signing time, you know, originally when he, you know, was first implant, when he was a baby, when he wasn't speaking yet. And then he kind of dropped off the signs as he started speaking. And now I'm like bringing them back him to to be able to communicate with his brother and I and that's another thing is when you've got one person who uses ASL in the house I'm trying to help everyone stay connected to him because I don't want him to feel like he's missing out on a conversation or he's not understanding something because you know he signs and like not everybody else is signing and you know he is probably missing like parts of the conversation anyway and that's really important to me that he doesn't feel left out. And so I'm always right now reminding my other children that James is my middle one. James talks with his hands. And so we need to talk with our hands too. That's how, like I put it mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. And that's like, yeah. especially my two-year-old, that's how she understand, you know, understands this. We need to talk with our hands and, you know, they forget all the time because they're young and I'm always 
you know, reminding them and showing them and talking to them about, you know, how we need to talk with our hands, especially when James is around, because we want to make sure he, you know, understands everything. My, my hardest one is in the car Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. they're all behind me in the back seat. And I'm like trying to sign and drive at the same time, because my, my five-year-old, we like I often have to take his cochlears off in the car at this point because he chews them. Oh, he is also ADHD. So he'll sit there and he'll get bored and he'll take them off and he'll like chew through the coil. With, yeah, like I, like I literally, I mean, and he'll do it like when he's sitting watching TV, I have to watch him because he'll like, he'll get bored or something he'll take them off and start like chewing on the cable or chewing on the processor he he'll like take them apart he'll take the um top off of the processor well, he knows He's, his way around his equipment then <laughs> yeah yeah he does and he'll like throw it around the car and then I've done that before gone and mm-hmm. had to like search around the car at the flashlight for like the processor and the battery which I now lock in the coil and he's just like run them around the car because he's gotten bored so like right now because I have to keep his equipment intact most of the time he can't have his processors on in the car because he destroys them yes he Mm -hmm. has and but so now I'm like trying to sign so that he's still like understanding what's going on and I'm trying to drive so it's fun Mm -hmm trying to figure it out but we do the best that that I can and that's what I want other parents to know as well is that you do the best that you can and if you're doing the best that you can your kids are going to turn out okay like Mm -hmm. you know because I think every parent thinks I'm not doing great and I'm like if you think you're not doing great you're probably doing the best Mm -hmm. you know like if you're so worried about am I doing this I'm doing that then you probably are doing the right thing because if you're aware and you're worried about it then you're you're probably okay it's the parents who like aren't aware that I'm like a little bit more you know concerned about but you know if you're trying Mm -hmm. that's all you can do and it is a process Um, and you are the best parent for your children because you do know them and if all you want all you did was love on them and try your best is more than enough it really is yeah no I love that so much um we're getting close to our time we're probably gonna have to do a round two because I didn't even talk about like school stuff and everything which by the way almost well, every follow-up. single interview, let's have another episode yeah almost let's every single interview I've done sometime. so far we've been like oh we need to do like a round two because there's so, just so much to say mm-hmm. and there's so much to cover but right. for this time I appreciate you taking your time so much she says so many wonderful stuff for our parents um what I like to ask our people that interview at the very end is if you have one or two last like tips or last like piece of encouragement for parents Hmm. I kind of what I kind of said that before like meet them and yourself where you're at but I'll leave parents with Give yourself grace because half the time it's harder on parents than it is on children. Our life is great. 
we don't know all of the stress and the worry and the overwhelm and the planning and the things we forgot or the things that we missed because we're just being. So give yourself grace. Thank, thank you. you. No, thank you I so much that. for having me. Of course. It was so fun. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. Okay, guys, I don't know about you, but I loved just listening back to that conversation. And I just loved being a part of that conversation. Michelle, you know, as I said before in the intro is so compassionate and so giving of grace to parents and so very encouraging. I really appreciate her being on the show today. If you want to connect with Michelle, you can find her on Instagram at Mama Who Hears and also on her website at MamaHughHears.com. And I will link both of those in the show notes. I want to thank you so much for listening to this show. And this is our first show coming back in 2024. So welcome to the new year. I'm so glad you're here. If you're loving the show, can you take a moment to hit the subscribe button? in wherever you're listening to this podcast so that you never miss another episode. And if you are feeling really generous at the beginning of this new year, if you could take just five minutes wherever you're listening to this podcast right now and rate and do a quick review for the podcast, it helps more parents find all this great information and also lets me know how I'm doing. Thank you so much for listening and for starting with us in 2023. And I cannot wait to take you on more adventures and more super great episodes in 2024.